Welcome to Elevenses with me, Danielle Perry, the podcast where I catch up with a hand-picked guest over a brew and the same 11 questions every single time. The purpose? To put the smartphone down to celebrate conversation. Now, you'll be hard-pushed to find someone who doesn't know my guest today. Having started out wanting to be in the Spice Girls, apparently, she then became the face of CBBC. After hosting a whole range of shows for the Children's Channel, she made her seamless transition to mainstream and most recently a presenter on The One Show and The Martin Lewis Money Show on ITV. She's taken part in Comic Relief, does Fame Academy, sailed a thousand miles from Belfast to London for Sport Relief, run the London Marathon, learnt tap dancing for Born to Shine and won Celebrity MasterChef in 2017. If that wasn't enough, extracurricular-wise, she's learning to play the cello, apparently, also broadcasts on Scala Radio. And this year, 2020, she and her husband, Michael Underwood, launched an exciting new 500-word children's writing competition that aims to open up the conversation about the Black Lives Matter movement across the nation. If that didn't give it away, please do welcome Angelica Bell to Elevenses. Hello, how are you doing? I don't. You know what? When you hear stuff about yourself, it does make you get a bit like embarrassed, doesn't it? Do you? Do you? You know? Come on, admit it, Danielle. If you heard all that blurb about yourself, because also I think we, when we do things, we don't really register it until someone's sitting there reading it out, and you're like, oh, did I do that? Yeah, yeah, I, yes, I, I know what you mean, but I, it's it's a it's a brilliant like trajectory, isn't it? From starting out and like sort of that climb, something to be proud of, surely. Yeah, I, yeah, of course I'm proud. Of course I'm proud. I guess I, you know, you try and be humble, and then also you go through life with times where you think actually you're not doing very well, or you know you're not succeeding, or you could do things better. Um, and that's, I think that we all, whatever walk of life we're in, do put pressure on ourselves, don't we? And yeah, I work in a, a, a job that is a bit bizarre. It's crazy. Um, but I always like to stress that just because I'm in that job, there are so many people who aren't, you know, in the public eye, who do incredible things and are probably much more important and do much more worthwhile things. And I just want to stress that as well. So, but thank you. But I'm not going to take away from the intro. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, that's all good. First off for this, do you have a brew? Do you need a tea or coffee? Are you sorted for that? Oh, yeah. I've got, I've got something next to me over there. I'd actually, it's quite good because I, I do talk a lot. And you're meant, you know, it's good to <laughs> make sure, you know, everything's clear. I don't want to be have a croaky voice on your lovely podcast. Thanks for having me, actually. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for being on it. And what we're going to do, we, we normally start off and we ask the same 11 questions to all of our guests. And, and there's one question which has pulled out the same answer from everybody so far. So it'll be interesting to see which way that goes. Um, but mostly the answers are so varied. First off, we pull it right back, if that's okay. And we go right back to your childhood, um, to your first memory. Now, in, I know you grew up in London, didn't you? What was your first memory? Can you go right back? Yes, my West London roots. It's funny when I um when I first saw the list of questions, I was like, "Wow, these are deep. <laughs> these are deep." I'm like, usually people just ask me, "What's my favorite? You know, what's my favorite cake or something?" But um, memories. My first memory, I think, it would have to be linked to my grandmother. So when my parents split up, we went to live with my gran. And she was this, this larger-than-life character she's from the Caribbean, you know, singing songs. And actually, she was the person who inspired my cook- cooking um, and my cookbook. Um, so I lo- spent lots of time with her. And she was just, like, all over the place, just busy, busy, busy. I think maybe I get some of that 
from her. But one of my earliest memories is getting on the number 207 bus um, with her, sitting on the top deck, and we would just travel all the way from West Ealing all the way to Shepherd's Bush Market. She loves Shepherd's Bush Market. Um, I think people who live in West London know it. It's quite iconic. And she'd get all her West Indian food there. And what was so funny is that she was the best at haggling. She'd be like, okay, how much for my bread food? And then they'd say price. I'm not paying that. Give it to me half price. It's too expensive. (laughs) Um, But you know, when you're younger as well, a journey like that takes hours. Well, it doesn't take hours, but... I just always remember sitting at the top bunk and just taking it all in, the bus stopping, the bus starting, who we might see en route. You know, my cousin might get on the bus. Or, you know, we might wave at my uncle. You know, it was just random, but I just loved it. And it was such an adventure for me. And being with her as well, because, you know, I was really close to her. Um, so those, that's one of my earliest memories. I, and still to this day, I love riding on the bus. Top deck, at the front. I love it. You just see the world. I like, you know, I drive. But when someone else is driving for you, you can just take it in. And that's one of my earliest memories. Going to Shepherd's Bush Market, getting all the Caribbean food we needed, and then bring it all back home. And she would cook up the most fantastic meal. And her home was, was, was like, you know, like a Mecca sort of thing. Everyone would come to it to eat, to have a laugh and stuff. So, you know, good memories, good times. And when you go to Shepherd's Bush Market, I love it as well. I mean, it's such a sensory feast, isn't it? In terms of the colours and the noises and the foods you're buying as well. Food's so obviously important to you as well. Um, with your cookbook that you wrote for, you know, sort of family um, recipes everyone can make together, which looks brilliant. You won Celebrity MasterChef as well. So from your grandmother, that seems like you've ca- you've continued that kind of importance of the food and the family and the, the centre point of that. Yeah, definitely. You know, I loved being at her house. It was there was always something happening, always someone knocking the door, coming in. Um, it was fast paced, and you know, I love that. I love people. Um, I love the interaction, having a laugh, banter, and I think that's how you find out about people. And, and also, you just want to be happy. But she did inspire me. I remember when I walked into the Master Chef kitchen. So before, you know, it, it took twice they asked me to do it um, over a period of four weeks, and I was like, no, no, I didn't want to do it. Michael had done it five years before and got to the final. And also as well, I'm not very good in that sort of competitive. I compete with myself. I am competitive, but to compete with other people, I do find that a little bit uncomfortable. But then I said yes. um, And once you say yes, you go to the studio and they don't let you see the studio before you walk in. The cameras are rolling. The first time you walk in there, it is, the studio's bit, you see the big M on the, on the wall. It's quite overwhelming because that's the first time you see John and Greg and they've told you beforehand which station, which kitchen station you're going to go to. So you go there. And I remember looking at John and Greg going, what have I done? This is insane. And but there's no turning back because the cameras are rolling, your mic's on. Everything you say, every breath you take is recorded. And I remember them saying, okay, you've got a box on your station. When we say go, you're going to lift it up and you're going to make something. They say go. And I lift up the box and I'm like, I can't cook. I can't think of anything. But what my grandma was really good at was instinctive cooking. She never wrote anything down. She didn't use cookbooks. And so I'd watch her a lot of the time. So I just had to be like, okay, what would she do? And then I would see things. I'd be like, oh, she would make, you know, and sort of thing. I started having flashbacks of being young in the kitchen. And I just used to just think, okay, try that. I've seen her do something like that. And it was, it was really bizarre. It was a really 
strange. I know people say journey. They didn't like this word, but it was a strange journey because I was on this treadmill on a show, which is so successful and so many people watch it. But at the same time, I was going through my own little um, reminiscing journey and remembering my gran, you know, when she was in her prime doing her thing and looking after me. It was great. Oh, that's so nice. To do that in front of a nation must have been like quite a powerful moment, actually. You're sort of smiling as you're, you're talking about your memories and your grandmother and stuff. When were you at your happiest in your life? Do you know what? I, I looked at this question and it made me laugh because you, the way you've worded it assumes that the happiest moment's already gone. <laughs> when were you, you know, so should, maybe the question would be, when are you at your happiest? Because who knows, that happiest moment might still come. But do you know what? I have to say, I try and be the happiest every moment. Because I'd be really sad to think that the happiest moment I had has already gone and I haven't relived that sort of feeling again. But I think I'm, I am really happy when I'm just with my friends, when we go out and we're laughing and when I'm doing something new. I think I'm also happy when we talked about how, you know, I've done some things in my life which are a bit crazy. I like, I'm a very... I feel passionate about goal setting. Um, so I like to set myself goals and that makes me happy because I think if I go tomorrow, then I've, I've, always, I've always tried to better myself, not waiting for a moment to happen. It's like, come on, let's just keep, keep rolling with this. I'm always happy. Yes, there are moments where I have no control and I think, oh, but then I have, a, I, I, you know, I think each person knows how they can get themselves out of it. And I sort of, at this stage of my life, I've sort of learned, okay, I need to grasp hold of that. How can I get better? And let's be positive. So generally I am happy, but like now I feel really happy. I'm really happy I'm talking to you. So maybe, shall I just say, the happiest moment is now with you, Danielle. You were just talking about sort of goal setting and, and how that makes you happy. And I think that we share that because I'm the same. So I really want to make sure that I've done as much as I can for me in life and pushed as many things and tried as many things as I can. And we spoke in the introduction about you um, sailing and doing the London Marathon. Um, I mean, you've done so many different things, but I was wondering, what is your ambition? That's question number three. It's funny because I don't think I've ever really had ambition. Although some people might disagree with that. Um, I think, and they and they misinterpret my drive with ambition. You know, I don't care about money. I don't care. I'm not very, very materialistic. But maybe my ambition is to get to the end of my life and be like, yeah, I had a good crack. And that could be anything. Do you know what I mean? That could be doing anything. That's really simple. But um, it's funny. So when I did the sailing, half the reason why I did the the sailing challenge and I've done the cycling challenge, one, the cycling challenge I did because I couldn't ride a bike. So I took that challenge on to overcome that hurdle in my life. And I had my children and I was like, I don't want to be one of those parents who watches on the sideline. So this is the only way that I'm going to get on a bike. And okay, it was a bit of a hard challenge to ride, you know, to ride a section of the ATAP when I could never ride a bike. So I had eight weeks to get bike fit <laughs> and learn to stay up right on two wheels. I mean, that is crazy. And for anyone who can't ride a bike... You can do it. I'm just going to say you can do it, but don't do it that way. 
<laughs> don't do it like I did it. But <laughs> but it was an, it was amazing. And also the sailing thing. I'm not a great swimmer. So when I did, I did another show called 71 Degrees North where I went into the Arctic and I had to jump into the Arctic. You know, moments where the fear gripped me. I, I mean, I can't even describe it. So I have put myself in moments or situations where mentally I have had to fight <laughs> with my sort of doubts to say you can do it where I'm like you can't there's one part of me going you can't do this you can't swim why are you going to jump off this ledge of a boat into the Arctic Sea and you know but then I don't know there's something that says if I don't do it then I'll regret this and it's that that's what moves me so I think my ambition is always to push myself and and when I set myself a goal to see it through I wondered whether, because um, you did a politics degree, didn't you? Um, and I was wondering whether you had ambitions to get into politics when you were younger, because was your father in politics? Yeah, he is in politics. And <laughs> do you know what? Oh, gosh, that world is so bizarre as well. Um, actually, maybe it's even more bizarre than telly. Yeah. Um, do you know what I, did, I find interesting about it is that, that the personal attacks, and I just think, mm, why, can't, why can't people just have different opinions and not be personal? You know, it's quite sad. But no, no, I've got enough on my plate than getting politics. <laughs> getting into that. You were just talking about, um, you know, when you were at your happiest and stuff. And I wondered um, who your best friend was. This seems to be quite a, a lovely question. One of my favourites of the, of the podcast. I have never had a best friend. Oh, really? Never. Uh, lots of friends. Lots of friends. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of friends. I love my friends. I have the best friends ever and I think maybe when I was younger I was afraid that if I gave too much to somebody I'd get hurt or maybe I spread myself around but I've always had lots of friends and what I have is friends for different things but what I try and do is keep in contact with as many as possible so even before this is way before lockdown you know like when you go to train stations you see like the card shops and stuff like paper chase and stuff so I'd go in there and I'd grab about 10 postcards you know with really lovely designs on and really you know great messages on and I always take my address book and I'll go through my address book and I'll be like, if there's somebody I haven't contacted recently, I'll send them a note. And I'll just, I'm just thinking of you and this postcard made me think of you and I hope you're okay and remember that time we did this and stuff. And, and then by the time I've got to my destination, I've written all the cards and I've bought stamps as well and I'll just post them. And I think we don't write, we don't put pen to paper enough. And I think, do you know, you know remember when you were younger, that feeling where you get posts through the door, you'd be like, oh my goodness. Someone's written to me. But I think being in lockdown has made me, you know, value my friends because I'm so tactile as well. I love a hug. I love kiss. You know, sometimes I'll just kiss my friends on the cheek and we're like, hi. I, you know, I miss that. I miss that a lot. And it's made me think about friendship and how, how valuable it is. That's fascinating, actually, because I think... Um Thinking back on the guests that we've spoken to today, I think that actually the my my female guests have all sort of said that sort of tribe. You know, it's the the group of you know you have different friends for different things, and you're all a big collective and stuff. And the men normally, just thinking back to Steve Coogan and Carl Pilkington as well, it was straight away one one dude. You know, like Dave, <laughs> that was my best mate. So it's quite interesting, isn't it? The kind of difference in that. Yeah, um, we like we like a posse. Yeah, we do. We do. Do you have any recurring dreams? I thought about this a lot. Um, and I am a dreamer when I was little. And it was only over a period, I think, of a year. 
I would see this sort of like, not ghosts, but evil man in the curtain. But I think that's because children start, you know, your dreams are sort of, you, you start thinking, oh, you know, and you start understanding that there, there is badness in the world when you're little and stuff. So I, I, but then, and I can see the curtain. I know what colour the curtain was. It was like a brown, beigey colour. And I could see like the little um, gap at the top where this light would come out. And I think that person was going to come through that light. So I'd always sleep with a, pit, with a duvet over my head. But since that time, no, I haven't had a recurring dream. I just dream about sometimes something will trigger something in the day and then I might think of someone, that person might come in the dream or a conversation I've had. But no, but I know that some people who, you know, over and over again, they have the same dream and is it, there's a meaning in it. And I know there's a lot of people who look into dreams and their their meanings and stuff, but I don't. I just, I, maybe I'm, that's a bit of something fearful. I don't want to delve into a dream and then find out it's some bizarre, distressing meaning. Life's too short. Let's just. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're quite right. With, with that in mind, then, um, linking on to the next question, which will, is, is there anything you're scared of? Because you, you strike me as someone that would just face things head on and just go, that's not going to bother me. I'm just going to sort of crack on. But is there anything, whether it's um, a little thing from your childhood or a big idea, is, is there anything that scares you? Oh, maybe not being in control. I always think a situation can be solved. The glass is always half full. I am that sort of person. Oh, my goodness. You know what I was scared of? This has come to mind. I was scared of heights. And then when I joined CBBC, it was, I had to get over that quick. I mean, I had to do pieces to camera on the highest vertical drop roller coaster in Europe. <laughs> And I was sat with a child um, who we, we, they'd won this trip or something we were filming. And there was no way I couldn't say I'm not going to do this. <laughs> so you so go. I think I've been in a situation, <laughs> well, I've been in a situation where I've just had to do it. And I remember this, this climbing slowly. We climbed slowly, slowly, slowly to the top. And I had to keep doing this piece to camera over and over again because obviously the cameraman couldn't come and it was on a GoPro. And I was just thinking, oh, my goodness, what have I done? Am I going to survive this? What, when this drops, and obviously, you know, you... You lose, <laughs> your stomach goes into your mouth. Obviously, that happened for about nearly 10 seconds because this is the highest vertical drop. I was scared of heights and I still am to a certain extent, but I just get on with it. Fair enough, fair enough. There's, there's a few that I can't get over. I need to uh, have a bit of whatever you're having with that one. Um, but with that in mind, um, what's your greatest achievement? Because uh, that that will probably become very low in that sort of list of overcoming things. But what is your greatest achievement today? Obviously, apart from having my children and getting married, because obviously you can't, I'm not adding those in because, you know, it goes without saying. Winning MasterChef, writing a cookbook, I never thought I would do that. Never. Um, I think what I, you know, doing 71 Degrees North where I had to go in the ice holes, that was massive for me because I don't like, didn't like water at that stage. You know, I've, taught, I've learned to swim in the last few years. I think there's loads of things that I've just, I'm just so happy I've done. And it's and made me develop as a person, just get stronger and stronger and, and make, help my mind. Because everything, all the things that I've achieved, I didn't think I could achieve and I wasn't good at. I've never been brilliant at anything as well. I've just, which is fine. I don't think there's only going to be about 0.01% of the population who will, who will be amazing at anything, whether it's running, whether it's making money, whether it's this and that. Every you know, There's a lot of us in, a, in groups that will just sail along you know not going to be outstanding or stand out but that doesn't matter as long as you are achieving for yourself and 
you think, oh my goodness, that, you know, I've achieved that and it's amazing. Your legacy will be with those people around you. That's, and that, they're the ones that count. You know, m- my children know that I ride a bike now and what I had to go through. They know I can swim, we can go swimming together. Because, yeah, when I was younger, I nearly drowned. So I always had a fear of the... Well, I used to have a fear of the water. Um, going back to your other question, I just didn't, never learned to swim. And so knowing that I've overcome that, that's, that's brilliant for me, mega for me, you know. It's just basic things. And that's why I feel like I feel a bit like a fraud talking to you about these sort of things. I'm like, it's swimming. It's just getting into water. Some people, they're like fish and they just get in the water and they're swimming. But for me, it's massive. So do you know what I mean? So God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I'm sure you, I mean, I'm sure your children will sit there and watch you just overcoming these things. It must just be such a great thing to show them because that, that'll, that'll be instilled in them so much as well. Like, no, I can do that. I'll just, I'll just do it. That's amazing. I think it's brilliant. I really, really do. Yeah, I just, I just want to be a person that they see is not brilliant at everything, but gives everything a go. And that's what I want them to, to have the confidence and courage to do that. Absolutely. When you were younger, did you, did you always have this sort of idea of um, adventure and sort of ambition? I, I wondered if you could go back and give any advice to your younger self, what that would be. I, I didn't venture out of my comfort zone at all young, when I was younger. I didn't have much confidence. I was confident in terms of I was a clown. You know, I, I like to laugh a lot. But in terms of doing stuff, no. I was quite a fearful child in one respect. And I, was, and I think growing up I was a worrier. I worried a lot about what, what would I do, what would I be. I worried about death. You know, little things like that. Not little things, but big. Obviously, they're big things. But when you're a child, you shouldn't be focusing on <laughs> those sort of things. So I think I would tell myself, go for it. And what was it that was Roosevelt said? The only thing you have to fear is fear itself. Love yourself for who you are. The things you've been born with, just love it. Because you can't control, like we said before, you cannot control how others react to you as long as you are doing what's right for you and you have integrity that's the main thing you know and I think I wish I, I wish I felt those felt, felt that when I was younger because I think I would have achieved more that's interesting that's fascinating I, I think looking at um some of the younger members of my family I hope that they definitely have that as a priority now I think it's a definite sort of point of reference for them isn't it to be comfortable in your skin be proud of who you are do, do you think that you think the younger generations yeah. are getting there with that more than we did? I think so. If we touch on the 500 um, words, Black Lives Matter, a lot of the young children who wrote about it didn't understand why there was a problem. Why is there a problem? You know, everyone should just be cool. So I think that's interesting in itself. So maybe empowering this younger generation that we have now is just the way forward because maybe hopefully when they get older, they'll just be like, hey, let's get on with things. Fingers yeah, crossed, yeah. anyway. I, yeah, fingers crossed, man. And also listen to them a lot as well because they've got so much to teach us too, haven't they? Um, oh, my goodness. That's why, that's why I loved working with children in CBBC because they just say, they're just so honest. They just say what they think, you know. And, and without being mean, I remember once I was filming for a show, I think it was 50-50 up in Scotland, we used to film that. And I would talk to, there was 50 children from each school would come. And so in the breaks, I would just chat to them and see how they're feeling and stuff. 
And I remember one child saying, Angelica, I don't like your top. <laughs> and I was like, and I don't think we'd started filming yet. And I said, why? Oh, I don't know. I think you look better in brighter colours or something. I think I was wearing dark colours or something. And I was like, do you know what? You've got a point. And I didn't, I wasn't offended at all. I was just like, yeah. They're actually, she's actually saying something to make me look better on camera. And I think I changed the top or something, you know, or, you know, or I, I, I can't remember if I changed the top we were already filming or I, I, it stuck with me. Well, it stuck with me now. I'm still talking about it. Um, and I remember thinking, I like you because you're saying it not because you're being mean, because you want me to look good. And I love that. You know, they're just honest. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I think the children um, are so honest, aren't they? And then when you um, get older, you you don't care. So you just say whatever you want anyway. So it's like yeah, the exactly. other side of the spectrum. Yeah, totally. I know that you, you do some beautiful shows on Scala Radio, um, um, which might link quite nicely into this if we ask if there's any piece of art or any piece of music um, that changed your life, one that you always go back to, one that completely takes your breath away. Oh, so this is where I have to be cultured. I like this. You're taking me on a journey. <laughs> Not just like... <laughs> Rough and ready, Angelica. Um, I... Um, Oh, I didn't grow up, you know, loving the arts per se. I didn't it's only when I got older and I sort of learned to embrace it. Um like you said, I played the cello when I was younger, but I was I was rubbish. But I just kept this cello anyway. And I thought I love the sound of it. One thing, one piece of music that did make a difference was when I was bought the cassette of Elgar's Enigma Variations. Love that. And it was played by Julian Lloyd Webber. And I've still got the cassette. And I remember listening to that going, this is moving. And I'd never really been into classical music before that. And I guess that's why... Who bought it for you? I don't... Do you know what? I think it might be my stepdad. Yeah, when he sort of joined the family, he sort of widened my outlook on things and introduced me to things like Sheffield United, The Blades, <laughs> classical music and politics. Um <laughs> Marvin Gaye. Mm. My mum used to listen to Marvin Gaye a lot. Nice. I love the song What's Going On. Oh, masterpiece. Masterpiece. So that is a song which I can imagine being in our little tiny flat, housing association flat, listening to that. Randomly, Brian Ferry. Really? Yeah. One song, more than this. You know, there's nothing more than this. Oh. Um, this always feels like quite a negative question and I don't really mean it to be a negative question it's just kind of interesting to see parts of people's character that sometimes we might might not see in sort of promotional stuff as well but what do you think your worst quality is that I don't stop I'm not very good my worst quality is that I don't stop I'm not very good at just sitting down relax I don't watch telly I don't have time but that's bad in itself that I don't have time because what you know um so I think I need to just relax more the other thing that my, one of my worst qualities is, is I don't buy myself anything and I think that's bad. There's no point working hard if you don't treat yourself. I'm not, like I said, I'm not extravagant. I don't care about material things, but I should, I should stop and buy myself something now and then. So I think that's the two things, those two things. Just learning to sit down, which I, I do sometimes with the children when we watch a film or stuff, but learning to sit down and give myself time and also just to buy myself something now and then. Not just wear this. I've been wearing the same clothes. Oh yeah, <laughs> me too. I want. Do you know what I want to get? I'm going to buy myself a tracksuit. I know it's not. See, that's not extravagant. 
So <laughs> exactly. No, I can relate to both of those things. Like I, my husband's always saying to me, "Can you just come and sit down?" Because I can't relax. I'm like, "No, I'm cool. I just got to do that." And then I just want to do that before I do that. And sitting down to me and watching something just feels like a waste of life. But it's important to Wait, stop. That's what I think. Yeah. No, I'm with yeah, you. Yeah. No, but it is. It is to, to collect your thoughts. You know. Just give your little, your little brain a rest. Exactly. We are on to our last question, um, which is question ele- um, 11, which we might have touched on earlier on, but it might be a nice way to kind of close uh, the chat, which was, um, when did you most feel like you? I remember it's when I moved to Birmingham. I didn't know anybody and it was the friendliest city I'd ever moved to. And I suddenly felt like it was me. I don't know, I was on my own, but I felt happy and I felt confident. I had loads of things to overcome, but I felt so me at that moment and from then on life really went good I wondered if if you had any moments like that when did I feel like me I think I feel like me now I just feel like at peace and I like me you know and I know it's weird to say that sort of things we're really bad as a nation to say I'm good at something or you know I'm pretty cool that we are I'm, I'm rubbish I'm the same I never like to say I'm good at anything, but I feel positive. I feel good. I feel just complete. I know who I am. And obviously we always need to progress. We always need to improve. And, you know, we can, we, you know, hopefully we all continually do that as people, but I feel good. I feel happy and I feel blessed. I always say this. I just feel blessed. I do feel blessed. And, um, that's so nice. And that's why I couldn't wish for anything more. Well, listen, thank you so much. It's lovely to, it's, it's bizarre because we kind of sometimes come in and out of the same building, but we've never crossed paths nor met. So lovely to meet no. you via, via technology. And I really thank you for your time and sharing a brew with us um, for 11 Sisters this morning. It's been fascinating and I've, I've loved watching you Not on TV all. for so many years. So I'm sure that will continue. Oh, bless you. But Danielle, do you know it's strange? As soon as you interact with somebody, you start seeing them. I bet you now I'm going to keep bumping into you and I'm going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing Danielle once more. <laughs> there she is. There she is. There she is me. again. <laughs> well, that there is one determined guest. Thank you, Angelica Bell, for her time and insight into what makes her tick. And that's probably how she ended up in all those situations, pushing herself to her limits and boundaries. It's quite amazing, really. If you enjoyed this podcast, then I'd love you to subscribe so you never miss another. And if you're listening on Apple, even, I'd be so grateful if you had a spare moment just to give us a quick rating too. It all helps massively. Thank you. Uh, We're building up a nice arsenal of coffee dates now. So if you have a moment, please do go back and check out the other episodes too. Next week, I'm joined by a man who has dreamt up some of the most beautiful iconic music that has accompanied us on the big and small screen. A man, David Arnold, who soundtracked both Bond and the London Olympics to name but a few. I'm so excited. And it's all high class and glamour until we hear about the recurring dream scenario. I was on a chocolate aircraft carrier in the sea and I was desperately trying to uh, have a poo. And every time I was trying, Paul McCartney kept looking over the top of the door. And this was like every night. It was like, on the next night, I was like in the desert, trying to do a poo in the desert, and Paul McCartney came. I don't know why. 
I mean, I've never read that thing with Paul McCartney. I've worked with Paul McCartney a few times and he's been lovely, but that's never been a thing that's happened. Until next week. <laughs>